We are now approaching East Kilbride. You're listening to the Full 10 Yards Podcast with your host, Timothy Lambert Monk. Welcome in. Welcome in. This is the Full 10 Yards Podcast, day two of Britball Week. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you with us. It is Tuesday, the 14th of August, and today we'll we'll be talking all about East Kilbride Pirates and the under-19s team. Uh, of course, it's a big part of the Britball Week here on the Full 10 Yards Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the chat yesterday with the Bristol Aztecs head coach, Chris Powells. Um, didn't mention yesterday, you can actually get them on social media at Bristol Aztecs. Um, quite a good, quite a good social team uh, there, and obviously their website is also is pretty good as well. But today we're having a slight look at maybe the the younger, the younger age groups of American football in this country, um, just to kind of cover over, you know, is it any different from the adult teams or the women teams uh, in this league? in this country uh, and you know what kind of the slight variances and differences there are and also if you know the under 19s kind of in, you know, integrate and cross over into the adult league before we do that a couple of bits of notes uh, and news from around the game in the states in the nfl uh, i just saw on my twitter timeline actually today that um, bud light have donated a, a fridge full of beers that is locked uh, and will be unlocked uh, at the point in which Cleveland Browns win a game this season, uh, my only advice would be to make sure that the sell-by dates on those beers are still within um, consumption times when when the Browns actually do decide to win a game. You, you, you would have hoped that they will do at some point. Uh, the one that I, I marked was the Jets. Um, the Jets game, I think one of the early weeks of, of the season. Uh, I think that was actually, is that a Thursday night game? I think it's Thursday night game. Um, I haven't got I haven't got the schedule in front of me, but um, that's also a quite a quite a nice segue into. I actually, watched. Um, I don't know if any of you guys have watched Hard Knocks. I've watched the first episode. It was quite enjoyable, actually. A couple of notes that I kind of took out from the first episode. The first one being that Hugh Jackson is absolutely stealing a living uh, the Cleveland Browns, and will at some point during Hard Knocks be punched in the face by Todd Haley. Um, I don't feel that any of the players buy into Hugh Jackson and what he offers as a coach. I don't think, uh, and I would certainly see Todd Haley being the head coach of that team at some point this season. Uh, however, that ends up being, I, I can just see it. I can't see Hugh Jackson staying there for too much longer. And the other note is what was um, Jarvis Landry, obviously the main acquisition in the offseason uh, in free agency, signing to that huge deal. He is by far and away the best wide receiver on that team. Obviously, I haven't seen Josh Gordon yet, but that, that guy is passionate, he's focused, he's talented, and he's just head and shoulders above all the rest of the riffraff in the wide receiving court in that team. Jarvis Landry's former team, Miami Dolphins, uh, other wide receiver, Devontae Parker suffered a broken middle finger uh, this week and is considered week to week and is hoping to be ready for week one in the season. Obviously trading Jarvis Landry uh, in the off-season <clears throat> kind of put the focus on himself, Devontae Parker, Kenny Steels, uh, and new acquisitions, Danny Amendola, Albert Wilson and the rest of them over there in Miami. So that's again some off-season struggles for the Dolphins. Over in New York, star running back Saquon Barkley missed practice, uh, sad practice after tweaking his hamstring uh, in the week one game versus the Browns. 
So expect him to, the Giants to tread very carefully there with Saquon in order for him to be ready for week one, but he should be okay. Staying in the NFC East, Philadelphia Eagles reigning Super Bowl champions wide receiver Alshon Jeffrey could start the season on the pup. Uh, obviously with the, the injuries in the offseason and having surgery, he is close to missing the first couple of weeks of the NFL season. I'm calling it now. The Falcons will go into Philadelphia on Thursday night of week one of the regular season and win in Philadelphia. That's going to do it for the NFL news. Back to today's podcast and obviously Britball week. So today we have East Kilbride coach Matthew Davis, uh, coach Davis of the East Kilbride under-19s team talking to us today, talking all about the youth scene, what it, what differs between them, themselves and the adult game. And also talking about the under-17s a little bit too and also building up to their playoff game uh, that happened a couple of days ago on Sunday but our time of recording was obviously last week. Uh, we'll fill you in on the details on the other side. But just before we do, we've set up a Just Given page to help raise funds for the Brickball game over in this country. Uh, so companies and organisations like Double Coverage um, and some other teams as well looking to try and get some funding there so we can provide some equipment to provide you know people at double coverage to help do their job better and you can go find that on our website full10yards.com um, on the fundraising tab to find about uh, find out about all the different things that we're going to we're going to be doing during the season uh, or, or if you just perhaps just want to donate and, and put something back into the Britball game over here so with that said let's get into it Okay, it's time to focus on uh, a bit more on the youth side now. I'm delighted to say we're joined by one of my local teams, East Kilbride Pirates, uh, under-19s coach, uh, Coach Davis. Coach, how are you doing this evening? I'm very well, so how are you? Yeah, we're not too bad, not too bad. Um, enjoying the, the cooler weather than the, what we're getting up here to, compared to uh, down south, shall we say. Absolutely, yeah. I was in, I was in the south of France last week for oh. a a holiday and it was just unbearably hot so it's nice to have a bit of a cooler evening to deal with what what part of france were you uh, in uh, down in valbon okay. uh, down in the southeast so uh, yeah it was, it was a beautiful place but it was just too hot for my taste mm, absolutely yeah as i say it reverts to type a bit more up here uh, for, for august uh, <laughs> being being um uh, i've only i've only lived up here for just over a year but it's uh, much 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 more to my taste shall we say Good. So let's um, let's talk East Kilbride then. So do you just want to talk about obviously your involvement with East Kilbride? Obviously you teach, uh, so you coach the uh, under nineteen uh, team there. Just maybe want to give a bit of background into how you got into it, and obviously any playing experience or coaching experiences before that. Of course, so I started playing in two thousand and five at the University of Glasgow. I played one season there, 0506, which was my last year at university. And then after that, some of the guys from the, the Tigers were talking about a local the senior team that played through the summer that they were going to go and join, and that was the East Kilbride Pirates. So I was living in Glasgow at the time, played my first season, 06, with the Pirates, and then moved through to Edinburgh. But I've remained with the team ever since. So I played seven seasons, 06 to 2012, with the Pirates senior team as an offensive lineman. And then... Before about a, a couple of years before the end of that, I was asked to get involved with coaching through in Edinburgh at the Edinburgh Napier University, and mm-hmm. uh, working under Pete Laird, the head coach there. So I spent three years there. First one I was the O line coach, and the next two I was the OC. And uh, then my playing time ended in 2012, and I coached 13, 14, and 15 with the senior team. And uh, then I moved over to the junior team after that, and I've been there. This is my third year. Mm. So um, yeah, th- this year is the year that I'll have coached 
more seasons than I played. This is my ninth season coaching. I played for eight. Oh, nice. Okay. So, is uh, is it? Do you enjoy the coaching? You know, is there a couple of things that you would maybe pick out as uh, highlights of to to coaching the uh, to the teams? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think seeing the development in the young people is 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 pretty much what every coach tells you about when you ask them why they love it and I think it's no different for me you know seeing people who develop as players but more than that who develop as young men mm. and, uh, and some some females but typically you know developing as young men in, our, in the teams I've been involved with and you know seeing how they take the learnings that they've picked up through being part of a team and through uh, the sport and, and apply that to other areas of their lives a lot of the young people that we have um, in coming through the Pirates uh, youth and junior teams have um you know, not been involved in a huge amount of team sport before, yeah. and so coming through there gives them a real sense of purpose and, and an identity, and it's it's just lovely to see them, as I say, applying that in other areas of their lives, be it school or, or work or, or the relationships. Mm. And what would you say? So, I've, I've, so I've had a few coaches on talking maybe about the the adult teams. What would would you say? There's a, a stark difference in how you approach your coaching to maybe the say the under 19s or you know the the the, the younger players uh, compared with maybe the adult teams is there any maybe any big differences that you you could put your put your finger on I think so I mean you're naturally changing your style um, perhaps in some cases particularly in Scotland changing your language a little bit when you're dealing with the younger age groups but I think as well you know the the, the ethos that I always promote at the pirates uh, juniors is safety then fun then development in that order you know it's a, it's much more about making a fun environment a positive environment where they can you know feel comfortable to be themselves bring the best themselves and really enjoy it and then because they enjoy it they come back they work hard and the development comes off the back of that mm-hmm. whereas i think if you're coaching in particularly one of the higher performance senior teams which obviously we've just um, been relegated the senior team this year which is disappointing but mm-hmm. um you know historically we've been one of the the, the more kind of high-flying northern teams yeah. and i think when when you're dealing with that sort of elite end of the sport and i use the the term elite very loosely but when you're dealing with that sort of end of the sport it's much more focused on winning you know you're looking to to get guys in a position to go out there and win whereas with us it's about making them fall in love with the sport making them learn things that will be useful to them when they hang up their cleats yeah yeah absolutely obviously you mentioned there obviously Skilbride not really having the the best of it this year but I'm, again I'm sure there's things in place there certainly the, some of the other players and coaches I've spoken to uh, are sure that the uh, Pirates won't take too long to come back up but at a, at a youth level I suppose under 19s under 17s uh, the teams are going from strength to strength, strength from, from what I can see obviously the under 17s uh, had a very good um, regular season I think they, they recently won the Brit Bowl against Chorley was that is that correct? That's correct, yeah. So um, Jamie D is the head coach of our, our Pirates youth teams. We've got two youth teams, the Pirates youth and the Buccaneers youth. Uh, the Pirates youth have won two um, Brit Bowls in the last three years, and then the one in between, they went to the final and lost the final. So, you know, two golds and a silver in three years from those guys is pretty remarkable, yeah. considering how much of a turnover they have, you know, at that, that age group. Um, and that's awesome for us because it means that the calibre of players that typically come through from youth to junior um, is really impressive. And then our junior team, since I took over, we've lost one regular season game in three years. Mm. Um, and the only other two games we've lost have been the two British finals, uh, two Kent Exiles a couple of years ago and then London Blitz last year. Mm. So, um, yeah, we've been we've been blessed with the, the calibre of players we've come through and the way they've bought in and the things that they've done. And, you know, we have seen quite a lot of success at that level. And the real challenge now is how do we apply that success and how do we um, make sure that can, the, the players who are successful at that level continue to develop all the way up to senior and we actually had uh, Mark Stewart who played youth for us um, and won a, 
um, Brit Bowl there and then played in the junior final last year as well. He actually stepped up a year early to senior and he was playing for um, the Great Britain Lions last week out yeah. in uh, Finland. So, you know, it's been great to see players of his calibre come through and it's just about how do we produce more and how do we make sure we keep them involved and keep them developing at that high level because it is sometimes dangerous where players kind of plateau. They, they, they're really successful at youth and because of that, they don't want to play junior because they kind of, they're going to go from being the big fish in the small pond to, yeah. to the opposite way around and things. So, yeah, there's, there's certainly a lot of work that we have to do in terms of putting the whole thing together, but the raw materials, the, the pieces of the puzzle definitely there yeah and so you just um like again let's say have you spoken to quite a lot of the adult coaches about you know what what that kind of entails so maybe just have you got any uh, is it any different in terms of equipment and, and cost of playing for for the younger the younger guys yeah i mean that's one of the biggest challenges that we face is that the youth and junior leagues are so sparsely populated i yeah. mean there were something like 19 junior teams in the whole of the uk last year so where we sit we've got Inverness to our north, which is about four or five hours north of us, and then the next team to the south of us is typically someone like Manchester. You know, so we have got masses of travel, mm. and and that's a huge cost because if you hire a minibus for adults and you hire a minibus for kids, they charge you the same. Yeah. So that's a huge cost that we have to face, and um, with both our youth and junior teams, and so that's one of the things we have to work on. The equipment slightly cheaper, typically slightly smaller pads, and and what we do is we get those kids involved. And then as they play through, you know, three, four, five years, we encourage them to use their Christmas presents from parents and things like that to get their own kit. And, yeah. and then we can recycle the kit back into the club and make sure that it's available for younger people. But equally, we have a real mix of players where we are in terms of the sort of socio-economic um, makeup of the, the communities that we support. We've got some kids, you know, from really great affluent backgrounds kind of extended families and things. And we've got some kids who have who have had a, you know, a more difficult um childhood and you know money hasn't necessarily come as easy single parent households and things like that yeah. and what we don't want is for those young people who have had those kind of upbringings who in a lot of cases need the team more than anyone you know to to be put off it because of the cost so we do everything we can through you know involvement with things like charities and backpacking and you know we do these you know, little tokens you get in your supermarket we had some success this year got a few thousand pounds from a supermarket from those nice. and we find all these different ways to get young people and um, the opportunity to play the sport try to keep our subs as low as we can and just make sure that, that we're, we're doing everything we can to bring additional money in, into the club and you know keep the purse strings pretty tight so that there's not as much going out as as there could be yeah sure would you would you say that's probably one of the biggest biggest obstacles for not necessarily just a youth team but i suppose a brit boy in general the, the finances yeah it's massive it's massive I mean, I mean i've been the treasurer of the pirates since 2010 and that for us now is, is you know five bank accounts worth we've got the seniors two youth teams a junior team um, and the women's flag and kit teams as well so it's it's a lot of work from that point of view just staying on top of things but money is is um, is hard to come by you know over the, the last five or ten years we've seen significant cutbacks in the grant funding that's available to teams and and equally, the cost of, of everything that we do, the cost of renting facilities to practice and play on, the cost of um, travel to away games is going up and up and up, and it just makes uh, you know it makes things tighter every year, and uh, it is definitely a, a challenge. And the problem you've got with youth and junior, particularly, is you know the further the more teams who drop out of the league, the further each game is, and the further you have to travel, and then conversely or, or you know connected to that the less appealing it is for people to set up new teams because they know they're going to have you know thousands of pounds of outlay before they've even played a game so it's it's very difficult and it's an area that the sport really needs to um to think about how we approach in the future mm. 
Yeah. So yeah. Um, so moving on to obviously your team then. So yeah, you've got a big game this coming up this week against uh, sorry in the Division One playoffs under 19s. Do you maybe just want to take us through? Uh, I, I assume it would be similar to to the adult the adult guys. But what kind of goes through a, a, a typical week for the players on your team in terms of practice and um, kind of prep? And then obviously when it comes to game day, I assume you're are you away this Sunday. We are, yeah. We're on the bus to, to Manchester early on Sunday morning. So, I mean, a typical week for us, we train on Thursday evening, 7 till 9, and Sundays 12 till uh, about half past 2. And we always have the last kit, the last practice before a game. So, the Thursday that we'll have this week is unkitted. It's just um, not, not necessarily walkthroughs. It's only like that word. It doesn't necessarily apply a particularly good tempo. But, you know, it's about um, very light contact and, and just making sure that we're, we're kind of assignment sound by that point. So, Typically, you know, a couple of weeks in advance, we'll be preparing for the team. A lot of um, what we do involves going into film. We played Manchester in the regular season already, and um, we're quite soundly beaten. That was the, the the one regular season loss that I mentioned earlier on. Yeah. And so, getting back in that film, understanding what we did well and what we need to improve on, looking at some film that we have of them against other opponents, uh, things like that are going to be a huge part of it. So yeah. we've done all our work in that space, made sure that we've applied that into our game planning. You know, thinking about what we think is likely to be effective, how they're likely to adjust when we do certain things, how we can get looks that we like on offense and and uh, and special teams and things like that, and then it's really just a case of bringing that to bear on the on the players, sharing with them um, little bits and pieces of film. I don't like to give people you know reams and reams of game film to study because typically they just don't do it. You know, so what we like to do is make sure we create little tight cups of videos where they can watch. You know, five minutes of, of film and get a really good feel for either what we need to do differently or, or what they're going to face uh, when we come to the weekend. And then, um, yeah, and then it's 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 Sunday and it's up early and on the bus and down to Manchester. In the meantime, you know, we encourage our guys to really focus on their strength and conditioning. Yeah. And obviously, we're in season now. We're pretty late on, and we've got a lot of guys that are quite banged up just because that's the nature of our sport. Yeah. So you know, there's a lot of foam rolling and stretching and ice baths and all other sorts of rehab and. Just making sure we stay on top of those guys, encouraging them to be sensible about, you know, what they eat and drink in the the days uh, running up to games, and then yeah, then get after it on on Sunday. Mm. And so yeah, just to mention a couple of points on there, um, uh, coaches, uh, with 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 regards to the play calling and the, maybe the playbook, I I, I I assume it would be kind of a, not so necessarily a streamlined version of maybe the adult team, but is I suppose it's a, is it a lot more simplified and easier to take in for you know obviously like you say it's a it's it's fun it's safety first and then fun so I suppose you've got to incorporate your style or your coaching kind of to tailor that to 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 your target audience of of like these the the younger players. Yeah, of course. I mean, I think I think in general, one of the things our sport really suffers from is a lot of coaches out there who think they're Bill Walsh and they have a playbook for that. <laughs> you know, even a senior team that practices for two hours a week and they've got 75 run plays in there and stuff. And I think the reality is, is that every coach out there wants their team to be able to execute at pace. Whether they go no huddle and just go 100 mile an hour, you want that when things change in front of a player's eyes, they're able to adapt to that and they're able to respond quickly and effectively. So for that reason, we always preach simplicity. And I did, I've did. i done that every level I've been at. When I was the offensive coordinator at Napier University, I went in with all these intentions of, you know, kind of running split back veer stuff. And we were terrible. You know, we went 0-7-1 my first year, 3-5 and five my second year because... 
I didn't take the opportunity to really simplify it enough for the players, and as a result, um, they weren't able to execute to the level that we needed to to win games. And yeah. so, with our with our young guys, especially, we focus on that. But equally, our senior team. I mean, we don't overcomplicate the things. And to be fair, you know, if you look at the best teams across the UK, right? Look at a team like the London Warriors. Get some game film of them and watch how many different plays on offense they run and how many different coverages and fronts on defense they run. It's very, very simplified, but they're phenomenal athletes. They execute to a very high level. And they win a lot of games because of it. You know, I think people have this idea that you know the, the bigger the playbook, the more successful the team's going to be. And in my experience, uh, exactly the opposite is the case. Mm. Yeah, and just uh, just another point on uh, obviously you were saying about what they eat and diet, nutrition, that kind of stuff. What kind of goes into that for 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 the younger guys, and does that translate into the to the adult game as well? Or yeah, absolutely. I think in general, strength and conditioning and nutrition, hydration, and things are. Um, are another differentiated factor that you have across the the organisations. You look at teams who take it seriously. Um, interestingly enough, actually, a team who are really starting to make moves in this pace and who I think will be a team to watch over the next few years are the Aberdeen Roughnecks. Um, and I'm from up that way originally, and they've actually picked up with a good friend of mine I went to school with who's um, came fifth in Britain's Strongest Man, actually, at the weekend. Wow. And he is a guy who... It's going to be working with them on their strength and condition. And again, nutrition comes in, all that stuff. And I think it's something that a lot of teams are really starting to get their head into and recognise. And now we're far from perfect on it. You know, we don't put diet plans together for our guys. But what we do is we make information and advice available to them and kind of encourage them to go out there and seek it themselves. Last year, we had a motto um, about being wild animals rather than being zoo animals. And by that, what we mean is our players developing the habits to go out and hunt for themselves rather than sit there waiting to be to be fed and I mean that in terms in the sense of information and knowledge and, and their development rather than just in the sense of food but you know encourage them to go and develop their knowledge and understanding about this stuff and be able to apply it when you see the players who do it it's really really impressive so we still have guys who you know think a McDonald's breakfast on the day of a game is the right way to behave and and there's a long way to go in that space, but at the same time, we've got a lot of guys who do take it seriously, and it's it's you know it shows when it comes out of game day. Yeah, absolutely. I, I suppose we're only just a couple of years away from the uh, Tom Brady avocado diet. I suppose. <laughs> yeah, there's, and, and you know that's the interesting thing as well is nowadays we've got more access to um, what high level athletes do. And then, you know, and then ever before, we've got more access to everybody with social media and the way that, that kind of mainstream media works. And so it gives our players and the players of every team an opportunity to look at their heroes and really kind of get inside what they do and how they do it. And as long as that, I think that piques some curiosity with and thinking about how they could refine what they do and make those little changes, I think it it's, it's can only be a good thing. Sure. Yeah, so um, and just finally before we move on to, uh, we have a listener question for you as well, um, just about uh, which we'll play shortly. But just before we move on to that, just wanted to maybe get uh, an idea of how you cross over between the, the other teams. So maybe obviously you, you're the under-19s coach, so obviously you're going to get players from the under-17s and then eventually I suppose the goal is to get those players, maybe the, the better ones or the ones that are more interested into the into the main team. So do you just want to maybe talk about that journey um, on, on how, you know, how you interact with the different other, yeah, the other teams? So, yeah, absolutely. And that's something that we've really been kind of speaking a lot about because I think historically in our team, there wasn't a huge amount of interaction between the under-19s and the senior team. 
Um, and so that's something that we really seek to, to improve. And Jamie McLaughlin has just taken over as head coach partway through the season of the senior team. He was actually our offensive coordinator um, up until that point. So he was there last year in the first half of this year at the juniors. And so he's stepping up now and he's surrounded by guys that he's coached and who have an understanding of what he expects. Um, but also he's continued to be involved with us, not as a direct coach, but just very much being around the team, you know, interacting with them, making sure he knows who everybody is. And that we think will hopefully aid the transition of the players as they move from under 19 to senior. And in terms of the under 17 to us, I think, you know, we've got two quite different experiences. Typically, the Hamilton Buccaneers will train at the same venue as us, and so we see quite a lot of them, um, whereas the East Kilbride Pirates um, youth team will train through East Kilbride, and so we don't necessarily see as much of them face-to-face, but Jimmy D, who is their head coach, is um, one of the, the, the guys within our organisation for whom I have the most respect. I mean, he's, he was an awesome player. He was a great coach when he coached us at seniors, and now he's gone on to do this. And so he and I are regularly in contact, and Matt Cooper is offensive coordinator as well. And so what we like to do is, is sit down at the end of the year, and he'll provide me with a dossier of these are all the players that are stepping up. This is where I think they have um, some strengths. This is where I think they have some development areas. Here's some things you might need to think about socially with them or culturally with them um, in order to kind of get the best from them. So he'll provide me with that information, and I'll provide the same thing from my guys step up to senior I'll talk to them about you know what experience they have on offense and defense on special teams and, and any areas that I think that they could really um, bring to the senior team immediately so just trying to aid that transition but equally I think having a physical presence around those teams is important you know going along and um, seeing the guys practice going to youth tournaments when I get the chance and um, posting on their Facebook group as well where we're members of all the groups and trying to make sure that they know who I am and they understand um, what's coming next we've had some really lovely um, chat over the last few days since the Paris youth won the, the national championship on Saturday with guys saying you know uh, oh, thanks for the kind words coach can't wait to step up to junior and you know try and do it again and stuff and it's just lovely to see that there that there's a real hunger to do it and continue within the organization so I think we're definitely you know we're far from perfect in the fact that our senior teams um, had the season it had or the last few seasons that it's had really I think is reflective of the fact we've still got a long long way to go but I think we do some things really really well and integrating the guys to, to keep them as a part of the organization on the way through is definitely part of that. Mm. Yeah, certainly, as I say, it, it makes sense that they, they've integrated at some point because obviously, you know, you don't want guys coming in at under 17, under 19 and then kind of not really knowing where they're going and obviously the, the adult team almost being their own their own instance where people can just turn up out, out of the blue, obviously through Facebook and, you know, you've got 25, you know, the, the older kind of sets of players and then, you know, that disconnection there is, is A, is not going to help your guys at the youth level because they don't know where they're going. It's maybe just going to discourage them because they've got nowhere to go. But B, it's going to, yeah. that disconnect to the to the adult team, is, is, you know, you're not going to have the same chemistry there. You know, if you've got a couple of players that step up through, you can, you know, it's, it's about having that continuity and that chemistry to effectively help the team perform better. Definitely, and I think you know. There's, a, I've got, I've got a lot of thoughts on this sort of topic, and it's something that I'm not shy about expressing. But I think there are a lot of teams out there who's, um, you know, who are multiple teams under the same umbrella, but with no real interaction. And you know, there was a, a quite a high-profile instance this year of one of the uh, senior teams down south who have a junior team attached to them, basically turned around to the junior team and said, "We're going to have the early kickoff on that game." Um, because we want to watch the England game, and so you guys are not going to be playing anymore, and uh, and that was the end of that. You know, just I mean stuff like that that you just think is totally counterproductive to what you're trying to achieve. Because you know, having a youth and junior setup within your organisation is both 
an end in itself and a means to an end. So yeah. it's an end in itself because it's an opportunity for young people to play the sport, for them to get engaged with it, for them to learn and fall in love with it. And for some players, that'll be as far as they go. But it's also the means to an end in terms of developing players and that pipeline, that pathway, mm-hmm. all the way through to your senior team and beyond. And so I think it's just about making sure that um, that you take that seriously and it's not just done um, and paid lip service to. But then equally, the other side of the coin is there are far too many senior teams in this in this country who don't have any sort of pipeline feeder. And mm-hmm. we look across the organisations that we have and we wonder why we've got the dropouts that we do, we've got the terrible game day attendances that we do, and why our resources in terms of officiating and things are stretched so thin. And it all comes down to that. You know, you, if you want to build something that will last, you have to have a way to feed it and not just feeding it with you know, 40-year-old guys coming in for a rookie day in January because they've played a bit of mad. And, you know, you need quality players coming through. And GB have just been out in the European Championships in Group A and um, they struggled the first two games against Finland and against France. You know, and France has the same um, sort of population as the UK, roughly, and it's a much bigger geographic spread, but it's got roughly the same population. And yet, um, you know, until about maybe 10, 15 years ago, we were all over them in terms of the, the calibre of um, our national side and they've left us in the dust. And I think we, we need to look at some of these European uh, countries and look at the models that they have and, and understand how we can learn from those in a way that's going to um, help protect and, and develop the product that we produce over here. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I spoke to someone else saying that obviously the French um, are quite well invested in, in the game there and obviously it shows that the... You know what you put into it is what you get out of it essentially, and I think that's just uh, that's a theme that's throughout all of them, all, all of the American football, um, Britball over here as well, and obviously uh, American football over in the states. You know, if you you put the work in, you put the time, the effort, you're gonna you're gonna see that on the pitch, and you're gonna get the rewards for it. Absolutely, and I think that's it. You know, and people talk about it. one of the things that I think we're terrible for in this country in the sport is making excuses as to why other people are better than us, more successful than us, have things that we don't have. You know, mm. it's very easy to look over and say, well, you know, the French Federation have got a budget of a million euros a year. Okay, well, you know, maybe they do, and maybe we don't. But at the same time, what can we do? What is within our gift to develop? What is within our gift to make sure that the next time we 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 play them at an international level in a competition that we close the gap you know and I yeah. think if you look at the um, the coverage of youth and junior in this country which is the pathway to our sport I mean we produce the, the you know probably the highest percentage of players that we produce that go on to international level um, are produced via the university leagues these days yeah. Yeah. and that's purely because there isn't the same coverage at youth and junior as there is at university we've got you know 70 odd teams and I think that you know while people see that as a real positive for the university game which absolutely you know, it's a, a feather in the cap of the university game. The fact is, if the earliest you can play the sport in the country based on where you live is 18, that's too late. You know, if we really want to excel and to push on, we have to take this stuff seriously. Yeah. And I think we need to make harder decisions at a national governing body level. You know, I was speaking to a friend of mine who coaches out in Germany, and he was talking about how in the sixth division in Germany, you have to have a youth team or a junior team within a year of in the league. And if you don't, then you're out of the league. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't matter. If, you, if you've been in for a certain number of years, you have to have two teams. And then, you know, you have to provide a certain number of officials to the organisation every year. Mm-hmm. And I think that if we, if we want to really advance ourselves and, and take this sport to a place where it will attract the kind of funding that other countries can attract then we need to start making some hard decisions. Otherwise, we can continue where you know, a vast swathe of our senior league is a bit of a pub team and um, piss about, and, and that's not something that I'm really interested in us um, facilitating as a nation. 
No, absolutely not. And obviously, I relate it to maybe some soccer. Obviously, Sunday mornings, you know, half the teams lower down in the in the leagues or the quality in divisions. It's just a case of just turning up and kicking a ball around twenty minutes before kick off, and, yeah. then, and then away you go. It's you know, that's no way near what what's required at American football level. But generally, in, in, in any sport, really, if you want to be getting good players, good quality calibre players um, at international level, that's see, yes, no, that's not going to cut it. Absolutely, and I think the interesting thing with that is. There's, there's, there's a place for that, you know. There is a place for that yeah. in any sport. Is the, the, the real genuine social teams yeah. where they want to come along. I don't want to have to practice. I don't want to have to hit the gym. You know, I just want to come along and turn up and play. Now, okay. for me, that is my idea of hell. Like, I, I don't get involved in something unless I'm all in. You know, so that is something that I would have absolutely no aspirations to be involved with. But that doesn't mean that everybody else feels the same way. Yeah. And there is a place for that. Yeah. But the, the concern I have is that we allow teams who are in that bracket whether they admit it or not to soak up resources that are then not available for other teams mm. so let me give you an example we have teams whereby um we have junior games youth youth tournaments where we don't get officials you know for huge chunks of the year and uh, we've played up in inverness against the highland wildcats and you know the pirates and the highland wildcats under 19 have been two of the you know the most consistently successful teams over the last uh, three years and, and the wildcats long before that and we haven't, we've played them five times in Inverness over the past three years, and we haven't had officials for a single one of those games. You know, Meanwhile, we see situations where teams that turn up with 15 guys for games at a Division Two level get officials. Yeah. And then the national governing body, when you reach out, say, well, you know, you need to do more up there to attract officials. And why don't you look at getting some of these young guys involved in officiating when they finish playing? And I said to them, well, if you're a youth or a junior player, what is your relationship with an official? Those are the guys that never bother up to show up and cover your games. Yeah. So how on earth do you think they're going to have a passion or an interest in being a part of that organisation when the organisation has done nothing for them? Yeah. You know, and I think it's it's something we need to be serious about and say if we really if if we really want to develop and push this sport forward, in my view, we should be allocating officials for youth first, then junior, then division, then premier, then division one, then division two. Mm -hmm. And the teams who genuinely show no interest in developing beyond that pub league level should be put into a pub league and should be allowed to do whatever they like, you know, officiate their own games, play whenever they feel like, wherever they feel like, to whatever standard they feel like. Yeah. But if we're serious about progressing the sport and, and producing great young players and being competitive again at an international level, there needs to be a line drawn and we need to decide which side of that line people saw. Yeah, that's a good point, and uh, yeah, I can totally understand the, the frustration there from from I say the youth players because you know again that's a that's a, a kind of discouragement for for them to say okay look you know we, no one cares about us because no one's officiating our games absolutely so what, why should absolutely. I why should I put the time in at the gym and do the nutrition that kind of stuff if I'm not gonna be able to perform uh, not not to the, obviously the best of your ability but you know within the the guidelines of what's expected from an officiating standpoint but yeah no very very good point absolutely mm. and it, it comes back to it comes back to everything you do as a coach and everything you do as a parent and everything you do as a as an employee as a functioning member of society is what you say carries a certain amount of weight yeah. and what you do carries an awful lot more weight yeah. and if we're serious and we're telling people that actually we believe that you know the young people who come into this sport um, are are to be invested in and to be developed and to be supported, then we need to show them that that's actually the case because mm -hmm. actions speak louder than words. And I think that's what I mean about making tough decisions. We're about to have an overhaul of the whole of BAFA later on this year. Uh, and I think that this gives us a huge opportunity for someone to come in and just say, 
you know, in fact, Rob Orr, who was the head coach of the University of Stirling, won several national championships there, used to talk about when he took over that team and they had had um, no real recent history of success. They'd won a, a, a national championship about 10 years prior, but they had no recent history of success when he took over. And he said to them, this is a benevolent dictatorship. You know, this is not a democracy. So what we're going to do is, if you want me to be your head coach, these are the conditions and these are the things that you will do. And if you don't do them, I won't be around. And, and you know, they focused very much on the basics. Um, you know, they worked really hard on recruiting players in internationally, on becoming a really solid foundational football team, on strength and condition and nutrition stuff. And they went on and won things and were successful. Mm. And I think we need somebody at the top of our sport to say, you know, instead of trying to appease everybody and, you know, everybody needs to have a, a, a national championship game in a stadium that costs £10,000 that nobody attends, saying, actually, do you know what? We're not going to be investing all that money in this level. We're going to take that money and we're going to invest it in schools programmed through Rob Brooksby or, you know, developing our kind of cadet flag offering or pushing youth and junior and providing them with support mm. and just saying that, that if, we're, if we're going to take it seriously, those are the sacrifices that you have to make. And if you don't like it, then you don't have to be a part of the organisation. No, no, I totally agree with uh, with with all those. Um, just, I, I have a question uh, from a listener. I'll just see if I can load it up now. Just bear me two seconds. It's Lee Wakefield. So I just wanted to ask, just for anyone who might be a young kid or might not be young, young themselves, what's the best way to get into football? Thanks. So in terms of kitted football, 13 is the youngest that you're able to kit up in the UK. So our youth teams are 13 to 15 and our juniors are 16 to 19. So I think first of all is get a feel for, is there a... Um, a youth team in your area the next question I would say is if there's not a youth team in your area is there a senior team in your area and would they have any desire or interest if you were to provide some of the resource to get that set up you know I think um, I would encourage people to to go out there and, and now it's a difficult one because kids can be quite fickle i remember i took up playing the piano when i was younger and it lasted for about an hour and a half you know <laughs> so what i you know i don't necessarily want my mum going out and buying a grand piano for me to practice on but it's not even going to be a day until i give it up yeah. same goes for this sort of thing so you know encouraging a parent to go and set up a team just so their kid can play is obviously a pretty extreme approach but if it's something they really are genuinely passionate about is there some way you can link in with a, an existing school in your area that, that offers it as part of a kind of sort of external PE curriculum is there a youth or junior team that you can support in the area is there a senior team with a desire to do it equally is there a university team with a desire to get into the youth and junior we've seen that at um, the University of Birmingham uh, historically we've seen that Edinburgh Napier have got a youth team now so, so, so I think it's about reaching out to local organisations and getting a feel for um, who does what and then again it's the same with anything it's buyer beware you know go along get a feel for is this the sort of organisation that I would be happy sending my child along to and uh, and and you know do they have the best um do they have the uh, the the well-being of my child at their at their focus and then if you're comfortable they are then away you go so yeah so just obviously about on the on the fact there about reaching out matt is is that um i guess mostly it's all it's all facebook pages but are there maybe any other avenues you mentioned obviously about schools and checking out schools is there any other maybe other ways that aren't uh, necessarily that spring to mind that, that, that they could try and try and use yeah so double coverage i don't know if they still do but they used to have a really good map of the uk that showed you based on where you were what were the local teams in your area and then yes. kind of had those broken down by the different levels i mean this is stuff that our national governing body should provide you should be able to log on put in your postcode and find out who your nearest teams are yeah. um, and hopefully as we move forward and we get our comms in order and um, that'll be something that appears but um yeah at the moment it can be a bit difficult but double coverage i mean ultimately double coverage have filled the void that our national governing body should have filled for mm. the last you know five 
five or so years, and I think that um, they'd be a pretty good place to start and get a feel for for what's out there locally. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I've been on there a few times, and I've, I'd say I've only just experienced Britball for the first time this year, this season, um, and double double coverage was. Um, a, had a map on there of all the teams and say East Kilbride was actually one of the first game was the first game I went to um, a couple of months ago now which it seems like uh, like it was just yesterday but yeah no double coverage are, are very much um, someone that we're trying to to fundraise for and, and support because obviously you've got volunteers there uh, dedicating all their time and like I say they do they do a job that they shouldn't really be doing but they do it for the love of it absolutely yeah and Nick Wilson Town, um, who runs double coverage, is a guy who's really put his heart and soul into it. You know, he um, when he left his his professional employment, he's focused full time since then on trying to get double coverage to a point where, um, you know, it can kind of stand on its own two feet and support um, support him. Not because he wants to be made rich by it, but because he sees that there's a an opportunity there. And ultimately, if the national, what I find remarkable in that state actually is that uh, our national governing body have. Um, not provided the services that they should do, which he's gone on to provide. And, and I say he, but it's, there's been a lot of people involved with it in the past, but yet are also disdainful towards his uh, organisation because at times they've questioned national government body policy on certain things, which you know is the, is the right and is the um, is the responsibility of any kind of decent media outlet. And so I think it's pretty remarkable that you do their job for them, and uh, yet they still don't give you any thanks or praise or credit. So yeah. I'm hopeful that that changes going forward as well. Yeah, I mean, we we we're in the process of setting up a uh, just a, a just giving crowdfunding type page to help uh, some raise some funds. So I'm going to be doing some little bits to try and help them as, uh, with uh, with some other projects as well. But yeah, no, they certainly do a a, a thankless job, and um, certainly it's. I, I've, I've had a chat with Nick as well, but um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully it resolves itself in the future. But again, like you say, it's, it's about the commitment and taking a standpoint with you know with the governing bodies, and you know we might not have the funding that, that other countries have, but. It doesn't mean we can't do we can't do stuff at our end to make the most of what we do have. So um, yeah, absolutely. And I think you know, and I think double coverage shows that now. Nick and the team there, and I've done some bits and pieces in the past, but I'm not heavily involved these days uh, in terms of being a contributor. But you know, when it comes to Sundays, somebody has to sit in on a Sunday and collate all the scores from um, Facebook and Twitter and all these other areas and yeah. provide them to the, the general public. And so all that shows me is that there are people out there who are willing to volunteer and do this stuff, and our national government body just need to create the framework in which those individuals are able to do it for the national governing bodies' pages and for yeah. the league's pages, rather than people having to go to an independent source to get information that should be provided centrally. So, yeah, there's definitely an appetite there to do it, and it would just be nice if it was a little bit better supported. Yeah, it's funny, it's funny you say that, actually, because every game that I've been to this season, I've live-tweeted at least uh, the first couple of drives and then every t- every touchdown score, and I try and even live-stream live a couple of the... Uh, the, when they get into the red zones, but yeah, no, they, they say there's people out there that do live tweeting that aren't even associated with teams. So exactly, and you know, you've got things like the score stream app that allows people who are just, you know, an average punter going along the game to keep uh, keep people who aren't there updated with the scores. And I think social media has really um, facilitated and supported this, and it'd be good if we could see it being kind of harnessed centrally, so that people who are like, I mean, you came into the sport completely as an outsider, which is fairly rare. You know, most of the people who are at games, most of the people who are involved with the games are people who are associated with or are or, or players themselves. And I think that we want to make sure that people who come along like you um, have the opportunity to get the information 
attraction that allows them to really be engaged with the sport in the country because uh, it's an awesome sport you know we've got some incredibly um, talented players and coaches and we've got some really great people around um, who have given a lot of their lives to it and I think it'd be nice to see that rewarded by a bit more um, kind of cohesive centralised media yeah, I mean, yeah, certainly when I went to the, the East Kilbride game a couple of months ago, it was obviously my first experience, didn't really, really know what was uh, what to expect. Obviously, big fan of NFL, so I kind of know what's going on anyway. But there was, you know, obviously, there's a couple of questions when you're standing there, you're live tweeting, you know, it's just simple things as like, you know, why, um, for one instance, obviously, no, there's no scoreboards, there's no timers, you have to rely on, you know, Absolutely, if, yeah. no one's, if no one's in the PA system, you have to kind of rely on the referee shouting out, how long is left on the clock? But if you're an untrained ear, you're not going to know that. And another thing that kind of was a bit weird seeing for the first time was, you know, you know when you've got the the centre line, so the fifty line, you have the 40, 40 mark and just five yards uh, either side. Yep. And that, you know, that, Ninety <laughs> yard pitches, the bane of British American football. Or Eighty yard pitches in some places. Yeah. I, I know exactly what you mean. I think from a spectator experience, there's a lot that um, that. Uh, that teams can do that can really help that. Now, even from a coaching point of view, so one of the things that you talk about in in big games uh, in the states and you know in, in kind of key times is clock management and you know kind of using your timeouts effectively and stuff. Yeah. When you are a coach on the sideline in the British American football game, you're pretty much putting your finger in the air. You know, <laughs> you ask for a, a, a time check at the end of a drive or halfway through a drive, and you know you're doing your best to try and stay on top of roughly how much time you'll have left and where you are on the play clock and stuff. But yeah. you've no real way of telling. You know, a lot of it's just total finger in the air. Um, and so, yeah, I think there's definitely lots of areas for improvement. And when you see um, club teams in the UK that have taken part in European competitions, so the Blitz, for example, um, took part in the EFA Cup a few years ago, and the Warriors have as well. When you take part in those European competitions, you have to provide those things at the venue. You have to have a scoreboard, you have to have a, a clock that's managed by the officials. And that, when you see those things done, as they do at Britbowl, for example, um, they, they really enhance the experience for both coaches and players, but also, as you say, for spectators. Yeah, I mean, well, I'd say, because I, I, I saw the, the 50 yard and the, the, you know, obviously the, the five yard differences for the 40 yard line, but I was thinking that must be so confusing as a player or, and, a, and a coach just to try and understand obviously where the chains are the chains obviously marked out but it's just, it's just a bit of a bit of a confuser it just kind of puts the cats amongst the pigeons a little bit it's just one of those things you just it think, does oh, and well. see when you're tagging film if you use a system like huddle and you're tagging film and it's like you know you're at this point in the field and the, the player got a 12 yard gain and stuff then it's like well you should be at this point in the field but actually you're not because the field's not 100 yards long and when you cross midfield you you kind of lost these 10 yards somewhere so yeah, yeah it's yeah. it can be somewhat frustrating is there any is there any other uh before we let you go are there any other things that kind of frustrate you from a from a game day perspective uh, no i think that's definitely one of them i think there's um you know the the the, the variance in facilities i think is is a challenge but equally having been someone that's been responsible for booking facilities i can totally um sympathize with that i mean the pirates play at gha this year and we'll be playing there again next year and it's a lovely kind of covered stand there's food and drink we've got a fantastic relationship staff there but as you say there's no there's no kind of scoreboard but as previously we played at Hamilton Rugby Club and we had a scoreboard there which is great but at the same time we didn't have a covered stand you know and it's, it's all these things that you know you're trying your best to create an environment for um, for spectators to feel like they can come along and be a part of it and you know you want a packed house because it's great for the players it kind of boosts their morale and stuff but yeah I think getting hold of facilities and that's one of the the things that we really do struggle with in the UK is, you know, the sport has existed in, in our country for, you know, 30 odd years now. And yet we're still in a situation where nobody has their own ground. You know, yeah. the closest we've got was 
when the London Blitz took over the, the kind of community lease with some other teams at uh, Finsbury Park, and yet you know it's we're not in a place yet where we're able to provide the the great experience, and that all ties into what we talked about earlier on around yeah. you know funding and what's available on the continent versus what's available here. There's lots of areas for improvement for sure. Mm. Yeah, sure. Um, but yeah, you know, small steps, and who knows? Maybe you know. Hopefully, we'll uh, we'll we'll get to where we need to be, uh, given the, the the funding. But before we get you get you out of here, uh, coach, uh, if you if you had to give it up tomorrow, what what what, what would you do? In, would you do instead? Would you play the piano? <laughs> no, uh, I play bass guitar. Actually, that's probably what I'd fill my time with is gigging again with that. But I do. Um, one of the things that I do that takes up a bit of my spare time is kind of emceeing gigs and after dinner speaking and, you know, kind of I used to do some competitive public speaking about stand-up comedy and stuff. And some of those things is something I would definitely push a little bit harder to fill my time with. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's uh, My travel's pretty significant. You know, I'm a 100-mile round trip to practice twice a week and I've got a little daughter who just turned three yesterday. And so, uh, you know, my time is pretty precious and that'll probably be ultimately the thing that... Um, it causes my um, my footballing years to come to an end, but uh, certainly in the meantime, it's something that I, I have a huge passion for. I've got a lot of friends in the sport. As I say, I love uh, I love what I do. So hopefully, a few more seasons yet. Mm. Yeah, well, I say really appreciate your time, um, coach. Hopefully, uh, good luck obviously on on Sunday. We hope you you get the result you want. Um, but hopefully, we'll, we can have you back on maybe some point in the future to to see how how you're getting on good development wise. Anytime, yeah. Thanks very much indeed for having me on and for the work you're doing. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I'll be uh, I'll be available for a return visit anytime you like. Awesome stuff. Cool. Take care. Musical by coach there, Matthew Davis. And unfortunately, they were beaten in a heartbreaker of a result on Sunday in the under-19s playoffs uh, to Manchester Titans losing in overtime. So commiserations to East Kilbride on that one. I'm sure they'll be back next season. Um, obviously compounded by the adult team obviously getting relegated from the Premiership North this season as well. So hopefully they can they can bounce back and be a force again next season. So obviously Manchester win that one. Uh, Manchester Titans... Uh, we will have a player from Manchester Titans on Thursday uh, on the show. Ben Nuttall, um, who plays a different, a couple of different facets of American football over here, plays both flag uh, and main contact, but also does a bit of coaching as well. So watch out for that one on Thursday. Tomorrow we'll be joined by Roger Goodgraves, who works behind the scenes uh, in, in, in Britball. Uh, he helps schedules the refereeing and does loads of little different bits for double coverage, uh, as well as some other interests as well. So hopefully you can join us for that. Like I say, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, at Full10Yards is the social, t- social media handle. And head over to full10yards.com as well for all the information about the fundraising and also some other blogs on there as well. We're currently div- uh, previewing the divisions uh, with myself and Lee Wakefield. I think the only one we have left is the NFC West left to do, so keep your eyes peeled for that. But that's going to do it for today's show. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you'll be back again tomorrow. In the great words of Kevin Cadle, it's bye-bye for now. Bye-bye. for listening to the full 10 yards podcast follow us on facebook or twitter at full 10 yards or email the show full 10 yards at gmail.com